Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. Some of the most exciting events in track and field, I think, are the relay races. Four runners make up a team. Each runner runs a leg of the, of the course. And the last one who runs is usually the fastest, and they call that individual the anchor. The key to a successful relay race is learning to successfully pass the baton. You can drop the baton or not pass it within the prescribed limits and you can lose the race or be disqualified. And there is what they call the exchange zone, 20 meters, 10 meters before and 10 meters after the start line. And the baton must be passed within that section of the track. You know, Paul on a few occasions compared the Christian life to a race. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. And so I'm starting a new series this morning called Passing the Baton, Passing the Baton. At our October leadership meeting, I presented a proposed transition plan to the pastors and deacons. Even though at this point, we do not know who the next senior pastor will be, God knows, yet it is still our goal to do what we can to successfully pass the baton of spiritual leadership here at Grace Bible Church. And as you look through scripture, you find a few examples of the transition in spiritual leadership. And so in this series, we're to consider four such transitions. The first one we're looking at this morning is Moses and Joshua. And I wanna draw out some principles from this particular passage of scripture. The first thing we see is that Moses was God's appointed leader for God's appointed time. Moses was God's appointed leader for God's appointed time. Notice how the book of Joshua begins in verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Seventeen times in the Bible, Moses is referred to as the servant of the Lord. To this day, the Jews revere Moses. Deuteronomy 34.10, but since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Think of all the accomplishments under Moses' leadership, the great exodus and all the plagues and all the signs, coming through the Red Sea on dry ground, to see the Red Sea literally part, then to see the Red Sea close back in, And Pharaoh's army and Pharaoh destroyed and drowned in the sea. He is the great lawgiver. For two generations, Moses is the only leader the children of Israel have known since they've come out of Egypt. But now God's purpose for Moses has been completed. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says that everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. The word season in Ecclesiastes means an appointed occasion, an appointed occasion. We know there are seasons in nature. We're in in one now. I particularly love the fall. 
I love the way fall smells. I love just the, uh, everything about fall, except breaking leaves. I don't like that, but you know, I like the fall. And then after fall comes that delightful uh, season called winter, which a few of you crazy people are looking forward to. But then after winter comes uh, spring and then, and then summer. Do you know, God, I believe, Warren Wiersbe said this years ago, that he believes God created, and I agree with him, created the physical world in many ways with the spiritual world in mind, keeping in mind that it mirrors the spiritual world. As there are seasons in nature, there are seasons in our spiritual lives. In Psalm 104, 19, he appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You know, all this climate change craziness, do you really believe we puny people are going to control the weather? I mean, come on. That wasn't in my notes. That's just free. I just slipped that in. God did not replace Moses because he was unable to lead. Deuteronomy 34, 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Anybody in here 120? few of you look like you're 100. No, no, that's not true. He was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. But you see, God's plan for Moses now had come to an end. Moses was not permitted to enter the promised land. God forbid him because of an earlier act of unbelief when he struck the rock to bring water out instead of speaking to the rock as God had instructed him. But I think overall, God had a plan for Moses' life, and he has a plan for Joshua's life. And so, in God's sovereign plan, Moses was not the leader who would take Israel over the Jordan. That would be Joshua. Psalm 20, verse 4 says, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. You do not have to be a spiritual leader to have a God-ordained purpose for your life. In fact, every one of us as believers have God-ordained purposes. Some of those are general and true for all of us. The idea of making disciples, of leading people to Christ, of being a witness, of representing Christ to the world. And also, he has specific purposes for each of us in our lives. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. We need to be sensitive to the Word of God as God leads us and guides us. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And these promises that God gave to Joshua and God had given to Moses and God had given to Israel, many of them are promises that are still true for us today. Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not like, be like the horse or the, like the mule, which have no understanding. God's promise of guidance through his spirit, through his word. God promises us to guide us. Now, sometimes we're sort of like the Amish man's mule who we used to take a two before and smack him over the head just to get his attention. I've been smacked over the head by the Lord a few times, not literally, but figuratively, probably Many of you have as well. God promises to lead us, to guide us, if we will follow his spirit and follow his word. I remember Dr. Falwell said this years ago, when the man of God dies, nothing of God dies. When the man of God dies, nothing of God dies. 
Look at verse 1. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, <laughs> every time I read this, I sort of chuckle a little bit, Moses, my servant, is dead. <laughs> Here's my first word to you, Joshua. Moses is dead. He's been your leader. He's been your mentor. But he is dead. Because Moses' death was not the end of God's story for Israel. It was the beginning of a new chapter for the nation of Israel. A pastor may leave a church, but nothing of God leaves the church. You know, the day will come when, Lord willing, I'll retire the end of June and, and, and we'll leave. But God didn't leave. God's not leaving. Christ isn't leaving. William Vander Bloemen wrote a book entitled Next. It's a book about pastoral succession. His first sentence says this, every pastor is an interim pastor. Every pastor is an interim pastor. None of us are going to live forever. None of us are going to be able to serve at the same level as we did in younger days. So we recognize that pastors come and go, but churches do not. God does not. Think of all the faithful pastors that have served here at Grace Bible Church. Now, I have an advantage because I came to church in the early 50s, and so I, from Pastor Jones on, I've known all the different pastors, and they have all been faithful preachers of the Word of God and even pastors before that. And so Moses had been their faithful leader for 40 years. You know, uh, there were people there in Israel, the older Israelites, they had been through some incredible experiences with Moses. Can you imagine walking through the Red Sea? Can you, can you imagine eating angels' food in the wilderness? Can you imagine watching Moses go up to Mount Sinai and the thunders and the lightning, and he comes down with the law, the word of God? These people had experienced God's presence in, a, in an amazing way. Their clothes didn't wear out those 40 years. For, for many of these Israelites, Moses is the only leader they've ever known in their whole life. And now Moses, my servant, is dead. So now they stood on the edge of the promised land. They stand on the edge of the Jordan River. In my office, I have a picture I took standing by the Jordan River. And uh, it's similar to this one. It's just, the Jordan River is not mighty Jordan roll. It's pretty much small in many places, and the picture of my office almost looks like a creek or a creek, depending where you're from. But when they came to the Jordan River, it was springtime, and it was at flood stage. And the Jordan had overflown its banks, and it was a flooded, raging uh, river. And so they're standing there looking at this river. How are some one to one and a half to two million people going to cross over to the promised land. You see, there will always be apprehension in a period of change. There will always be apprehension in a period of change. Um, we don't like change. We like things to be stable. We like to get up in the morning and the day ahead looks like the day we just left yesterday. But that's not reality. The natural world often illustrates the spiritual world, as I said. In the physical world, all living things grow and change. 
But you know that's true in the spiritual world as well. Change is the essence of spiritual life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When I came as your pastor 17 years ago, this is what I told you, those of you who were here. I told you some things would change immediately. Some things would change eventually. Some things would never change meaning the preaching of the gospel, staying true to the word of God. And that has been lived out. I would counsel you to remember that when your new pastor comes. Imagine the Israelites wondering, what is our future? The one we have relied upon, our, our leader is gone. And we're standing here, we're camped on the edge of this river, and we don't know what the future holds. Look at verse 2. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Now, present tense, arise and go over this Jordan. You see, the period of mourning for Moses had ended, Deuteronomy 34, 8. The time now was to break camp. The time now was to get ready to move out. God did not want them focusing upon the past, but looking to the future. He didn't want them focusing on the past, but looking to the future. This is going to be an exciting time in, in, in the life of Grace Bible Church. You're going to be looking ahead to new leadership. You know, we have a wonderful staff of pastors here. And whoever the Lord chooses to be the senior pastor, this is going to be an exciting time, a new vision, new direction. And so we should be looking ahead with anticipation. Many people in churches do not move forward because they won't let go of the past. How many churches live in the past and they watch their congregation dwindle and dwindle and dwindle? They won't change. They won't listen to new ideas. They won't understand that new generations have different ways of looking at things. Change is part of life, and it should be part of church life. So we should appreciate the past and learn from the past, but then release the past. You've often heard me say that I'm thankful, and I'm very aware when I stand up here that I'm standing on the shoulders of generations of believers who came before me, not just the pastors, but all the faithful men and women. Grace Bible Church is here. We are debt-free in this beautiful facility, supporting all the missionaries that we're able to support, do all the things we're able to do, but it wasn't always that way. I remember the little Grace Gospel Church up on the hill in Lakemont. And so it's because generation after generation of faithful, godly people, they gave, they prayed, they served, they worked, and then they passed on like a trust to the next generation, Grace Bible Church, that they had brought from where it was to where it was then. So appreciate the past and learn from the past, but then release the past. Adrian Rogers used to say, thinking the past was a good old, the good old days is a combination of exaggeration and a bad memory. <laughs> I really like that. 
The contribution of Moses continues, but the day of Moses is ended. Yes, the past is foundational, but don't be anchored to the past like, like a chain that's going to continue to hold the church back. Secondly, live in the present. Live in the present. For some of you, this is good advice for you in your personal life. Live in the present. Now, he says, now, arise, go over this Jordan. The challenge is in the present, so it requires obedience today. It requires faith today. Whether you're a member of Grace Bible Church or not, or if you are a faithful attender and you consider Grace Bible Church to be your church, this is not the time to abandon ship. Don't abandon ship. Often when a pastor leaves and there's a process for a new pastor to come, sometimes attendance goes down. That should never, ever happen. If anything else, attendance should go up. People should become even more faithful if they really love the Lord and they really love the church. So appreciate the past, live in the present, and anticipate the future. Notice verse 2. They're heading to the land which I'm giving to them. Look at verse 3. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. God's already determined what they're going to have in the future. God has already chosen the man for his church. Now, I don't understand how the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man come together, but I find them both in Scripture in so many, many places. So, in the sovereignty of God, God has already chosen who the next senior pastor will be along with your other pastors that doesn't mean we just sit back and say okay God some Sunday morning you know the ceiling's going to open up and he's going to fall right down and stand behind the pulpit it doesn't work that way we have a responsibility to pray we have a responsibility to do our due diligence and the leadership will do that and you as a congregation will do that and that working together with the sovereign hand and providential hand of God will produce the result that God ordains to be produced. Now, this is the same outline presented by Paul in Philippians. Philippians 3, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, meaning I haven't arrived yet. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, that's the past, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, that's the future. I press toward the goal, that's the present, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's not saying take it out of your memory. He means don't be hanging on to the past. You should be reaching forward to the future. And so remember, God is in the past, the present, and the future. So when you get to the future, God has already there. He's already been preparing the way. None of us know what the future holds, but God knows. It's like the ad that was put in the paper. Due to unforeseen circumstances, no clairvoyant meeting will be held tonight until further notice. And um, if I read that again, you still won't get it. So you'll just have to think about that one. Look at verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, what? Assistant, his servant. Israel was to follow God's appointed leader, Joshua. God's appointed leader had been Moses. Now God's appointed leader is going to be Joshua. And Joshua was Moses' servant for years. That's what it means. He was his assistant, his servant. Joshua served the Lord by serving Moses. In Exodus 24, 13, it says, So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua, 
And Moses went up to the mountain of God, Numbers eleven twenty-eight. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, was one of his choice men. Moses and Joshua illustrate a principle that I have uh, preached about. I've, I've given it to the pastors, deacons, trustees so many times, and it's this very basic principle. Servantship proceeds, proceeds and accompanies leadership. Servants, servantship precedes and accompanies leadership. In the, in, in the world, the, the leader is served by everybody else. In the church, it's just the opposite. In the church, the number one servant is supposed to be the number one leader, or in this case, the senior pastor. We pastors are here, we deacons are here to serve our people, not to be served. And Joshua and Moses illustrate that principle beautifully. Moses had this wonderful assistant, Joshua, who served the Lord by serving Moses. And that prepared him to be the leader of the nation when Moses went off the scene. Like Moses before him, the Lord prepared Joshua to lead Israel. Now, Joshua is quite a, quite a neat fellow. See, he was born a slave in Egypt. His parents were slaves. He knew what it was to be a slave. So he witnessed all the things happening as they, they were coming out and they come to the edge of the promised land and Moses sends out 12 spies. Two of those spies were Joshua and Caleb. In fact, they were the only two spies that came back with a good report. They said, we don't care how tall, them, how tall their walls are. We don't care about the giants in the land. We are well able to go in and take this land. Now, if you want to list the losers. The other 10 spies are listed in the Bible. If you want to memorize that, I don't know why you'd want to. But Joshua and Caleb were men of faith. And so Joshua, we know, had a heart for the Lord. In Exodus 33:10, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. All the people rose and worshiped each man to his tent in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he returned to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, at this point in Israel's history, this is not the tabernacle. This is the tent of meeting that was set up where Moses, before the erection of the tabernacle, would meet with the Lord God, and probably with the Shekinah glory as a symbolic of the presence of the Lord. And so Moses would meet with the Lord, and then he would go through the camp. But here's Joshua. He didn't want to leave the presence of the Lord. It shows us the heart that Joshua had. We can see why Joshua was God's choice to follow Moses. The purpose for Moses' life had come to an end. The pur purpose for, for Moses to be the leader of Israel had been fulfilled. And now it was time for Joshua and notice, the people confirm God's choice by following God's man. The people confirm God's choice by following God's man. Now, in our system of church polity, we are a congregational government, meaning that the members will have a vote eventually when it gets to that point as to who the, the new senior pastor will be. And then when the new senior pastor comes along with the other pastors, then you have the opportunity to, to follow him and to follow them. Because the children of Israel were to follow Joshua as they had followed Moses. And Joshua followed the Lord. 
So in other words, you follow Joshua as he follows me. Paul said something very similar, 1 Corinthians 11.1. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, Paul never expected, nor did he think he was a perfect leader or a perfect apostle. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. But Paul was saying, as I am faithful to follow Christ, you follow me. So I am very confident that you will give your new pastor the love and respect that you've given me and you've given to the staff and the, and the, the other pastors that, that are here. We're simply servant leaders. We are servant leaders. So begin praying now for your future senior pastor and his family, as well as your current pastor and your current deacons. Prayer is powerful. What we need to prepare for the future is prayer. A pastor asked a little boy in his congregation, so your mother says your prayers for you each night. What does she say? The boy replied, thank God he's in bed. So whatever you pray, pray to the Lord. Then look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. Only be strong and of good courage. God gave Joshua and Israel divine promises. Divine promises. You see, God will accomplish his will, and they will receive their inheritance. And three times in these two verses, you see that personal pronoun, I. God is giving his personal promise. And these promises are promises he gives to us as well. And God never walks out on his promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you know the writer of Hebrews quotes that in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 6, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so he's applying it to New Testament believers. The Lord Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never, he will never leave or forsake Grace Bible Church. It's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. In a sense, we say that's my church with a sense of ownership. Nothing wrong with that. As long as we understand Christ is the Lord of the church. He's the owner of the church. It's his church. We're just privileged to come alongside and to serve in his church. And these promises are unconditional. Unconditional. And we are promised divine direction through his word. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So very quickly, pay attention as we wrap this up. Just a couple principles I'd like you to take home with you. Determined to do all of God's word. Just, make a, just decide, I'm going to do all of God's word as a church and as individuals. Observe to do all the law. You dare not pick and choose the parts you like. You, know. you can't just say, well, I don't like that part. Um, I don't agree with that. Uh, who we think we are. This is the infallible and errant word of the living God, the eternal word. Secondly, do not deviate from God's word. Don't turn from the right hand or to the left. Don't get in the right-hand ditch. Don't get in the left-hand ditch. In the Bible, you will find blessings and you will find cursings. You will find judgment and you will find God's promises. And we dare not emphasize one over against the other, but see the balance of Scripture 
And then do not neglect God's word. Don't neglect God's word. Dr. Crow used to talk about the Bible being the number one best-selling book that's never read or hardly ever read. It shall not depart from your mouth. Jesus has always guided Grace Bible Church from generation to generation through the word of God. I preach from the same Bible. It might be a little different translation, New King James. Most of the pastors before me use the King James, not all of them. But it's the same Bible, the same word of God that for almost 100 years has, has been the solid foundation of Grace Bible Church. So do not, do not neglect God's word. And then lastly, meditate upon God's word. Meditate. You shall meditate in it day and night. Think about it. Run it over your mind. One Bible teacher used to say meditation is like a, a cow chewing a cud. He just ruminates. It just You run it over and over again. You think about it. You don't just read it and flippantly move on. God promises good success to his people who commit themselves to prayer and the word of God. And that good success doesn't mean that you're going to get the, the, the car you want and the house you want and, and make the most money you ever made. No, no, he, this is good success. You will have a successful life. You will have a God-honoring life. God will bless you richly spiritually. He will give you the true blessings of life. And he'll throw in a few other things just because he loves you. So Grace Bible Church, we know, as we say, true to the word of God, as we, as we hold up our church in prayer, hold up your deacons, your pastors in prayer, we know that God has his man, and, and in his time, uh, he will bring the person here that he wants to be the leader of our